the Extraordinary Moms podcast. I'm Jessica Dahlquist, your host, and every week I interview a different mom who shares their motherhood journey and the lessons they've learned along the way. If I've learned anything from interviewing such a wide range of moms, it's that no two moms parent in the same way. We should celebrate that and learn from one another. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast today, and if you like what you hear, please share this show with a friend. Hello, everybody. It's Jessica, and I'm so honored to be bringing to you my guest today, Bridget Shipman. Bridget is an extraordinary mom of two boys, love a good boy mom, and she is sharing about her journey in raising her son, Joseph, who's now 29 years old, actually 30 as of right now, he had a birthday, and raising him after his diagnosis with autism. She talks about how important it is to care for yourself along the journey when you get a diagnosis like that with one of your children. She's talking about how she could find joy and resilience and true meaning in life, all while dealing with the unexpected, including the loss of her husband. She talks about processing hard emotions like grief and heartbreak, envisioning new futures for your kids and for your family. She's an incredible, incredible mom, and she recently wrote the book, Mother's Guide Through Autism, which is co-authored by her son, Joseph. It came out in May, and I'd love for you to check it out at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com. So let's get to my conversation with Bridget Shipman. All right, I'm thrilled to be chatting with Bridget Shipman today. Hi, Bridget. Hi, how are you? I'm great. I'm excited, you can tell. (laughs) I'm so excited, too. You are absolutely radiant. Do you mind if I ask how old you are? Your skin is gorgeous. I know you have a 29-year-old. That's the only reason I'm asking. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm I'm always 29, right? (laughs) No, I don't mind you asking at all. I'm very, I I feel very open. I'm just an open person. I'm 59 years old. what do you do for your skin? Literally, Bridget, you are just like glowing and just like wrinkle free. You're like really beautiful. <laughs> well, um, oh my goodness, I'm going to live off of that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm humbled. Um, I honestly, it's it's genetic. My mother, who is 82, um, I'm just I'm blessed that way, and I drink a lot of water and I work out. I always have my whole life. Fabulous. Those are great tips to live by. Well, I can't I can't ride on the coattails of your genetics, but I could drink water and put on sunscreen. That's what I can do. <laughs> oh, well, and, and I'm glad you said that because um, um, my friends used to chuckle at me, um, tease me a little bit because I've always worn a hat. Um, I live in a beautiful area where there are lakes and rivers, and I've always worn a hat since I was in my late twenties. So I think there's a lot to that. My mom's the same way. She was always wearing a visor, and we'd always tease her, like, "Mom, you're so lame in the visor. Like, that's so lame. You're so so boring. Whatever." And who has the good skin now? My mom, right? And her friends are having everything burned off their face and off their arms and everything, and she's taking good care of herself. So. You know, yes. those those early practices make a difference. Where do you live, Bridget? I am located in Mountain Home, Arkansas, which um, most people go, now, where is that? So I am north central Arkansas, the border of Missouri and Arkansas. I'm in the Ozarks, um, beautiful mountains, lakes, rivers. Wonderful. That's where I'm located right now. I've been to a lot of parts of the country and never that part. So I need to come visit the south. That's for sure. Yeah, it's beautiful here. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, Bridget, I'm just so excited to chat with you today. You have a new book coming out, and today we're talking about autism. And most of the moms that I've spoken with 
are currently in the throes of raising children with autism, like young children. And maybe the diagnosis is very new. Maybe we're talking about IEPs in school. Maybe we're talking about um, friends and social things and things like that. Your son is now how old? Actually, this is so awesome, the timing of this podcast, because my son is going to turn 30 this Saturday, which is when we're recording this, Mm -hmm. April 16th. Mm -hmm. So he's going to be 30 years old. Wow. Wow. Can we go back to your early motherhood, Bridget? Can you just give a little background on yourself and your family and kind of what early, early motherhood looks like for you? I would love to. And I, I love that question. Because I base most of the work that I'm doing right now on on that journey, right? So, as a young mother, um, I I was ready. I was so ready to become a mom. Um, my husband and I were very excited. I had many showers. It was just like everybody was so engaged um, in my pregnancy, and I was a first grade teacher at the time. So I was, you know, taken in the coats of all these wonderful women that um, had raised children before me. Uh, And then I had my beautiful son and he looked, literally looked me in my eyes the second I held him. And it was almost a message like, hey, mom, we've got some work to do here. And I, I, it's a moment, I don't know, just kind of slows down in time. And you know it's an important moment, but you don't know what it means just yet. And I looked up at my husband. I said, did you see that? And he said, yes, I did. And my husband believed that Joseph picked, a, picked us, which Joseph can debate that, but I also believe it. And so as we we journeyed on within the first few days, my son just started crying nonstop. So this this message, the work that I'm doing now is to my my young self, and then in particularly moving on through motherhood at 32 when Joseph became when, when we finally had him diagnosed, and the the grief and the stress and the judgment. And the, I'm not a good mom. Yeah. I want everyone who's listening to this that if your if your baby is crying nonstop, if you're overwhelmed, if you're stressed out, please know you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And I I wish that I would have had the tools that I have today in my fifties because mm-hmm. I would have been a lot happier. And I would have enjoyed my journey a lot more on this motherhood journey. And so my passion is moms and my passion is my, my greatest role that I've played on this earth is being a mom. And I know that sounds, oh, geez, she's thick, she's corny, blah, blah. But it is absolutely the truth. I absolutely love being a mother. I, I talk to moms all the time who, whether they're, you know, a new brand new mom or a seasoned mom. And it's like, it seems like we all just have to learn the lessons when we learn them instead of being able to even have a wise mother like you speak into our life. And yes, you're telling us it's going to be okay. And yes, you're giving us these tools, but you just have to put one foot in front of the other and do the work yourself. But that being said, knowing that there's someone out there like you that had those same fears, had those same 
that same overwhelm, had that same exhaustion, had the same grief and uncertainty that came from an autism diagnosis. There's a lot of moms listening, I'm sure, that have been in that, you know, office where they've gotten that, you know, label for their child or a different one or, you know, fill in the blank for whatever challenge. And they're like, this isn't the plan. This isn't the child that I had envisioned, right? But when Uh we box in those plans, when we box in that life, when we box in that future, we're really limiting to the potential of what could be a very beautiful and rich life, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. That is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is my second career. Um, I've been an educator my whole life. And I, I am, I resisted this work quite honestly. And I just kept getting messages to come back to, to helping, helping moms. You bet. Um, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with that. If you're, if you're beginning your journey as a mom and you're, you were filled with the expectation, like I was that I was just going to take my baby home from the hospital and every uh, yes he would cry but only when he's hungry <laughs> right if I do my part only. he'll do his part right <laughs> that's what the yeah. books tell us of course <laughs> uh which uh obviously did not happen um I I can remember many 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 days where I didn't brush my teeth where I waited in desperation for my husband to come home just to just just to hold Joseph for just a minute because I just needed a minute, and um, really the I, I think the the message I guess my mission I should say rather is that um, and I know we're going to get to it but I am on a mission for moms to understand it's okay to put yourself first. Mm-hmm. It is actually quite essential. Because we are mothers for for the rest of our lives, and yes, it transforms, and yes, it changes. However, you don't take care of yourself, there, there you go. Um, and I didn't. I did not take care of myself. Yeah. And as a result, I became a type 1 diabetic. Really? And almost yeah. died. Yep. Wow. <laughs> That's one of my life tsunamis. I have lots of them, but that's one. Right. And we think we could just like sustain life as a martyr, right? We think we could just like, oh, we'll just, we'll just give in and we'll just be the sacrificial lamb and all this. And we'll just like be depleted all the time. Fine, fine, fine. But then literally physically your body is going to be like, no, it's going to start pushing back if we're not taking care of ourselves. And certainly I'm sure when you added, you know, those types of things to take care of your actual health for survival, you're like, oh. Why hadn't I just paid more attention sooner, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. And and all the signs were there, by the way. Mm. And it's just like press on and and you know, you you tell yourself these stories and, and you have these beliefs that all moms are tired. Mm. All moms are exhausted. Right. This is just what you do when you're a mom, you know? No, it 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 really isn't. Right. <laughs> no. Right. Uh, you know, you get to you get to be happy. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And sometimes all of our joy and all of our happiness doesn't just come from wearing the mom hat, right? right. And 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 at least for me and for you who we wanted to be a mom, right? And so we're thinking once that happens, then, you know, oh, like we're going to be great at it. We're going to know what we're doing and we're going to feel ultimate fulfillment. And when you're counting down the minutes till your husband gets home, you're like, who am I? 
Like, yeah. what am I doing wrong to not feel this joy that I thought I would feel? And that guilt, I hear it all the time, starts to creep in. And we just have to release release that because there's different seasons of motherhood. And like you've seen many, many seasons, um, I saw on Instagram the other day, somebody post her youngest turned six recently. And she's like, I have been waiting for this moment where I could be like, I do love being a mom. But in the throes of toddlerhood and babyhood, she's like, that just was not where I was best. And it stressed me out. It depleted me. It exhausted me in ways. And now, yes, it's still taxing to be a mom of, I think she has three kids, but it's, but it's different. And the, mm-hmm. the enjoyment I get is different. So don't feel bad if in a certain season of life, you're like, find kind of not finding your footing or not finding your ultimate like calling. Right. You bet. Mm. And and I have another son, so I, I have two. And having the second experience, that stress was, was I, I didn't resolve it, right? So everything that you're saying carries on, mm. um, you know, uh, well into their teenage years. And the next thing you know, you have a f- family dynamic of a stressed out mom, mm. <laughs> you know, and, and that's not um, for me. Uh, as a reflection, going back to that, the earlier times of young children, even teenage years, um, to be able to step back and just know that if I if I take care of myself, I'm going to have more energy, I'm going to be more present, and as a result, everybody benefits, not just me, yeah. my kids benefit. That's right. And I often have a saying that I that I reiterate is like, you can't expect your kids to behave better than you do. So if you're (laughs) snapping, if you're impatient, if you don't have a joy for life, like how, what are you modeling to your kids that they're going to be picking up on? And ultimately a lot of times reflecting back or at least feeding off that in a way that maybe, you know, is not going to serve you long-term. So how old was Joseph when he was diagnosed with autism? Three and a half. And this was in the early 90s. So, you know, um, a lot has improved, but also a lot has not. So, yes, he was three and a half years old. Yeah. Talk to me Uh, about that. Talk to me about what they were telling you at that time. And then talk to me about what you would tell somebody who's getting a diagnosis right now for their mm -hmm. child and the difference of expectation and opportunity and resources available. I I love those questions. Um, First, let me say the 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 when Joseph was diagnosed, what was going on at that time um, was when a speech pathologist recommended that we we have our son tested. Now, keep in mind, I was a first grade teacher. I had a doctor tell me you should read to him. I was like, really, uh, great advice. Kind of already know that. Plus, <laughs> Joseph is. <laughs> And was already reading by the time he started preschool. So anyway, so you get a lot of that stuff, right? And and you just have to navigate through the mumbo jumbo and follow your mother's heart and in, in your intuition. I also got um, comments made that um, we believe because Joseph was echolated, like he didn't really talk in sentences. He didn't re- respond yes or no questions. And I, I was told that my son would more than likely – um, need to be institutionalized, that he wouldn't be able to go to school uh, because back then inclusion was was on was a discussion and it wasn't always positive. 
uh, discussion to, to bring these kids into a, a school setting. Um, so that was going on. But what, what I had told myself at that time was that I know my son better than anyone. And so I was very strategic. And what I would say to any mom listening, if, if you're getting that diagnosis, the difference in the time, so fast forward to now, Somebody asked me that question. So there's so many more resources out there right now, right? And so many more kids are getting diagnosed, and there's a lot more education and awareness. However, what's not different is how devastating getting a diagnosis of a lifelong disability is. I don't care till the end of time when a mother gets a diagnosis that their child has a lifelong disability, your heart is broken. Yes, there's resources out there. Yes, there's more help out there. Yes, we know more. But hey, at the end of the day, we all need to grieve. So what I would say is it's going to be okay. Yeah. My mom's a preschool teacher. So a lot of times she sees kids in that, that early stage where the parents are trying to figure out is there something going on? What are those next steps? And sometimes there's a lot of resistance on the part of the parent, not wanting to get the testing, not wanting to get a label if that's where it's going to end up because they feel like that's limiting their child. And what my mom tries to very kindly and lovingly explain is, but if there is something going on, then you can get help, then you can get support, then you can develop a new framework. It, But also, there's going to be grief. There's that loss of what was, the potential that that was, and creating a new a new hope, right? And and there's no prescribed timeline or way to do that, which I think is really really hard, and we have to be understanding of that. I yes, I love that, and and your mother's very wise. Um, yes, tons of resources out there, but when you're in that moment. And you, you do live with that expectation. All, all of us do. And I, I was so like, I, I call those on your knee moments. Um, and that is a life tsunami and to give yourself grace and it's okay. It's okay to be sad. And grief is a very interesting process. I write about all this in my book. And I take moms to remember everything you're asking me. I love it because it's so aligned with what I wrote and and, and helping moms. And to to know that your grief has no blueprint. Grief is a fingerprint of who you are and how you choose to move forward, what your heart says or doesn't say, and denial is powerful. All those all those things you've heard about your whole life, the stages of grief, for me, I was in all five stages at all uh, all over the place, mm, you know? Yeah. Uh, sometimes it, it still, it still um, throws me into oh my gosh like that that sick feeling sometimes when I worry about Joseph but now the difference is I have the tools so if if I would say one thing so when when I coach moms the first thing they want to do is give me all the resources help me help my kid and I'm like absolutely but first could we just take a breath and check in I want to check in on you Mm. how are you doing and your your book's called mother's guide through autism. And, yes. and I, and I think that is very intentional with what you're saying. 
it a lot of the books and a lot of the research and a lot of the resources are for the child and certainly those are very necessary um, to get information and support and and to make progress but there's also attending that needs to happen like we're talking about with the parents, with the mother. And so having this perspective of a mother's guide through autism, how the mother can help navigate this, I think what a wonderful companion to going through a really challenging time from somebody who has been there, right? It's not just from a clinical perspective. It's from someone who's been in the trenches. And so for a mom that gets a diagnosis last week and they're still in that early stage, speak to that mom right now. What would you tell her? Mm. Well, it makes me want to cry because I'm I'm such an empathetic person. And the 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 first thing I would do if if the mother came to me is I, I would have to give her the biggest hug of love from my mother's heart to your mother's heart. You're gonna be okay. Take a breath. Trust that you will be okay. And what I also offer is my son's words. Half of the book is me. Joseph wrote through the eyes of the guided. And mm-hmm. to that mom, if I, if somebody would have told me that Joseph and I were going to write a book someday, that Joseph would be getting a job on the radio, this child who doesn't speak, I would have said, oh, okay, you know, just go away, go away, go away. Yeah. But it's true. Ha- have, you know, hope is your North Star. Don't lose your hope. Follow the hope. Follow the love. And know that your child is is going to be okay. Whatever that looks like. We're extraordinary moms. Our children are extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Joseph mm-hmm. is extraordinary. And I have to let you know this to any mom listening. Joseph named Mother's Guide Through Autism, not me. Wow. Hey, everyone. I know you're loving hearing from Bridget, but I did want to thank a show sponsor, and that is Crispy Green. Back in 2004, Crispy Green emerged on the snack scene with one goal, to offer a natural, delicious, healthy snacking option to consumers of all ages. And Krispy Kreme is such a fantastic option because if you're like me and you've been packing lunches all school year, you're feeling burned out and a little guilty about the packaged snacks you're throwing in your kids' lunches. Is that just me? <laughs> but when I can pack my kids a delicious fruit option in the form of a Krispy Green fruit chip, this is the answer to all my problems because crispy fruit snacks retain over 95% of their nutrients of fresh fruit. They're 100% pure fruit, and the snacks are just like a chip alternative. They are so, so fantastic. Plus, they're good for you, no sugar added, non-GMO, project verified, gluten-free, dairy-free, vegan, and they have a three-year shelf life. So if you're building up your food storage like I am, this is a great thing to add to your food storage. It's so fantastic. Crispy fruit snacks from Crispy Green are 100% pure freeze-dried fruit. No added sugar, like I said, and the flavors are unbelievable. The flavor really packs a punch. My personal favorite are strawberry, and my kids love the apple ones. There's something for everybody, and I would love for you to try it out if you're looking for some freeze-dried fruit. So you can go to shop.crispygreen.com and use my code TNT15 for 15% off all products. That's TNT15 for 15% off all products when you go to shop.crispygreen.com 
and everything will be linked in the show notes. Thanks, Crispy Green, for sponsoring the show. Now let's get back to my conversation with Bridget. I think a lot of times when we see our kids struggling, we would just do anything to take away those struggles at any age, right? Yeah. But is that going to help them to get to their highest purpose? Is that going to teach them the lessons that they need to learn that are so vital? What do we need to keep them from and what do we need to to let them experience and go through? What would you say for any mom listening who who has a child that's struggling, that maybe feels different, that mm-hmm. whether for physical or mental uh, or medical disabilities, whether it's just because they're new at school or mm-hmm. maybe, maybe because of the color of their skin. There's so many reasons that our kids can feel other and helping our kids mm-hmm. to accept who they are in all of their greatness that's a really important part of being a mom and supporting and loving our kids and not just keeping them from the harm and keeping them from the comments or keeping them from the bullies, right? So how did you do that? Or how did you attempt to do that with Joseph? How did you do that with your other son too? I'm sure he went through things as well. And uh, yeah. 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 So, um, so, So that is the question of the century. How do you not become a helicopter mom? How do you let your children prosper and and turn into who they're meant to be? Right as as well, I think my set my son Joseph said it best. We guide them. So, in other words, if you see your child going to a dangerous path, we're going we're going to intervene. We're going to parent. We're going to to teach them. There's so many teaching moments, and I think we develop that relationship with our children when they're very young, and I, I believe letting them know that you're open and not freaking out when they do come to you with um, them, perhaps they tried drugs for the first time, mm-hmm. or they get into the wrong crowd, and you're like, I, I didn't see that one coming, you know, so parenting Being a mom is not about being a dictator or you must follow these rules because I'm pretty sure that that's not, they're, they're becoming who they are. And our job as moms is to give them unconditional love, of course, but to also let them fail. And I, I, having been a teacher, I had the unique experience of having Joseph as a student. Hmm. And I would see him being bullied and, and sitting back going, okay, do I want to go punch that kid in the face that's bullying my son right now? Or how do I, how do I teach Joseph resilience? How do I teach Joseph whose mind is black and white and and he's Uh a computer? And yeah, he, he had some, we had some tough times. They were very difficult. And there were a lot of things that I didn't know that went on um, that he tells me about now. All you can do is give yourself grace. Let your child know that you're there for them no matter what. And that you love them no matter what poor choices that they have made. Because our kids will make poor choices. And they're not bad. They're not good. They are who they are. And life is about navigating the choices because your choices that you make in life are what the consequences are going to be. And I know that sounds like I'm such a teacher, but I promise you it's the truth. Mm -hmm. 
So that's addressing the child that feels other. Now let's talk to the other kids that need to be allies, that need to step up, that can have that role of being a friend to sometimes the friendless, right? We have those, you know, moments where we want our kids to be able to acknowledge, hey, that's a child that is sitting alone at lunch. That's a child that, you know, may not have the words to express themselves, but I bet they'd still like to play handball. So what would you say to those kids and how have you helped educate um, mm-hmm. other kids to be supportive and to be those allies. Yeah, I use kindness is is my super my superhero power. The the kids that I saw um so there are kids who are natural nurturers. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're going to be our teachers, they're going to be our doctors, they're going to be the people who the nurses, everybody who takes care of others. And then you have the kids who we don't know their why. And I looked at it from a perspective of for those kids, if they are a bully, my hunch is their home life isn't so hot. Mm. So I try to look at the big picture of it. So I would give our kids more experiences. Um, That's why I love inclusion, because the more more kids are around differences, the more they're going to understand them, the more they're going to stop and they're going to go, oh, now I get it. So it, it's a reverse thing, right? If I'm going to try to figure out their why, I want them to also understand that the world is, is beautiful because of the differences. And how can I contribute? And not to mention that when you live in a place of service, you, you can't help but grow and be kind and generous and nurturing. Mm-hmm. So how can we teach our kids through service? Right. I love that. Yeah. And and what stood out to me is it's not just a matter of our kids feeling like the benevolent hero in this story. Yeah. But they can learn no, yeah. so much and it shifts their perspective. And it's yeah. like having that awareness and diversity and, and differences in abilities around them. Yeah, if they're if they're not used to having a diverse population around them for you know, in whatever composition that is, how can they possibly learn to appreciate those differences if they're not given that firsthand exposure. And then secondly, without that interaction and without the intent, not just to like give, 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 but learn and listen and watch. Um, I mean, it's all for, for their good for your other son. I mean, sometimes, um, a lot of fears that I hear from a mother that has a child with any type of challenge or disability, they're worried mm-hmm. for their other kids and mm-hmm. the amount of time it might take to focus on the other child and maybe therapies or just behavior management or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And they think, oh, my other kids are going to get shortchanged. Tell mm-hmm. me about if that was a fear for you and how you navigated that with your other son. Well, really, it was a lot of trial and error, but I think what was an advantage um in my situation is that my children are five years apart. So Joseph is five years older um, than my youngest son, Jacob. And Jacob has, a per- the, and also their personalities, right? So you have to take kids at face value. And my youngest one is a go-getter. He is naturally um, a leader. Um He's very intelligent. And so what I noticed is that 
Jacob would take everything in, in his surroundings. And then he was um, Joseph's protector. Hmm. Although he was five years younger than Joseph, I, I would watch the dynamic and not, you know, so how do you guide that? Um, I just made sure that being a teacher, that um, I would explain things to Jacob, um, you know, and, and still, it, it is, it's not like, um, and, and for me too, I think when you're on the autism journey, you don't know everything ever. And I think that's life. And so as we have grown as a family, because I'm a single mom, their dad passed away mm. um, when Joseph was a senior in high school and Jacob was 12. And so, um, and, and that was difficult as well. So the way we navigated through all of that autism, grief, I call them life tsunamis, as, as I've mentioned before, when um, real life struggles come your way. And I, I think the answer to that is just to be present to be aware when your kids are struggling, to be aware, um, and, and I've heard other people talk about it, to get down on their eye level, right? When they walk into your room, what is it that you need? And and I know any mom listening to this, we have this strong intuition over our children. And still um, in conversations, Joseph is just matter of fact. He doesn't mean to hurt anybody's feelings. That's never my son's intention. But my younger son might take take it at face value and go, you know, he might take it personal and go, you know, now that Joseph lives in Jonesboro and Jacob lives in Atlanta, it's harder for them to get together. Joseph doesn't like to talk on the phone. So how they're going to keep that connection going is, is what I'm working on with my sons now. And it's just like anything else. It's Jacob, I know, is looking out for his brother. His brother um, looks out for him. They have a different relationship. And, you know, that's okay. They need to operate on who they are. And I, I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned is you know, we get these ideas in our heads and we think that, oh, my life is going to go this way. And then it doesn't go that way at all. And so um, how do you find joy and beauty in what is? Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of how I guide them. I just, I, you know, Joseph is who he is. So let's get to really know those things and let's educate ourselves. But more importantly, at the end of the day, the answer is love. Mm. If you just show up, just show up. Kids are sponges for that. It doesn't take a lot of effort to guide them. And that's why I'm such a huge advocate for moms to do their work and to heal their hearts so that we can be present and be the quarterbacks of our families. That is a beautiful, beautiful response. And I love that it's coming at it from somebody who's been through many seasons with your kids and it's a lot different having you know young children that are feeling like oh mom like joseph's getting you know what he wants and you didn't give me what i want and and then 
being physically in different locations. Yeah, that would be a real challenge to overcome. And I have no doubt that they will, but I'm sure there's some, yeah, there's there's some figuring out along the way. And it's okay because you can just be in that moment that you're in and everyone's just doing the best that they can. And I didn't know about your husband. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah. I wonder if your the diagnosis and all that you had been through with re-envisioning the future and then losing your husband did you feel at all more prepared or equipped I don't know if those are even the right words but when the unexpected happens when, when it hits when it you know catches us so off guard like I can't believe this is happening to me that can be a real rude awakening but you'd kind of already been through that once before what was that like when you lost your husband well it was horrible it was and it's it's a very um long story because there's there's so many caveats to it it's not like well he passed away that's my story right right <laughs> it, it's a story in itself um and so all i did just as i did when joseph was um diagnosed i put all of me into my children not knowing what to do or what to say or you know, when you tell your sons that their dad has passed, you, I, I left my body. It was a surreal moment. And, um, it's not one that I ever want to ever do again. <laughs> you know, it was that, it was that tough. Um, and, and grief is tough. And I believe I didn't have the tools, um, uh, all I knew how to do was li like what I said, it's just like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm just, I'm just going to do my best. And had I, and this is why I, I say what I say, why I'm so passionate for a mother to hear me say this, to, to put yourself, to put the oxygen mask on first, to, to heal your heart, to grieve, to feel it not only frees you shackles off, but it also helps you guide your children. And I, I will, this isn't my last project or my last leg or anything mm -hmm. like that, but I will always talk about, um, moms taking care of moms, doing the work, moms healing their hearts and to go through the grief and to know that it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. You entitled your book Mother's Guide Through Autism. And for anything that I've seen and a lot of the resources that are out there, it's about having information about your child and how to help them through that and, and how to help them to you know develop skills and progress on that journey. Why did you choose a mother's guide from that perspective? Exactly what we've been talking about. I think the mother getting the guidance is giving their child resources. I think that's where, um, where it all, where, where the light is shining on, at least from my 30 years <laughs> as a, as a mom with a child on the spectrum and then just life happening, right? All, all these other life tsunamis that come our way. Um, and, and, and I say this, had I have had the tools, 
that this book offers, Mother's Guide Through Autism, I think I would have been able to, what would have, those blows with those live tsunamis have been any brighter? No. But I feel like I would have been more prepared and I would have had the mm. tools. I would have, I would have had more of a dialogue. Um, I would have felt more confident in guiding my kids for sure. But you are helping your children when you help yourself. That's the message. Yeah. <laughs> That's why it's called Mother's Guide Through Autism. Plus, plus Joseph named it. So yeah, it's uh, which I love, which I love. And you don't know what you don't know. Right. And so as you're going through it, you're wondering, is this normal? Is there a normal? What does normal look like? Am I doing this right? Am I doing this wrong? And you don't always have the data right away because a lot of things are cumulative. And so I can only imagine walking down a path like this for the very first time. There's just so much uncertainty. And even if you have, you know, hope in the long term, like I'm sure it's not always going to be this way and, you know, things will improve and things, but like what does that look like? What adaptations will there be? And I mean, Joseph's living out on his own now and he's has a job. And I mean, what kinds of things has Joseph accomplished? And tell me about his life now that just is a life you never probably could have envisioned when the doctors were telling you your son has autism. Yes, 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 yes. So um, <laughs> had I have known that my story would be where it's at today when I first got that diagnosis I, I I could have enjoyed Joseph in life a lot more but it is what it is and I you know we all have these moments where our kids are bigger than we ever imagined that they could be they're a much bigger person there there's way more to our kids than we have ever even be, been able to imagine. That's how I feel about it. And the, the, the big fear, I talk about this in the book, crushing the crazy monkeys of fear. The one fear that I hear most often from moms is I fear the future of my child. You know, what's going to happen to my child without me, you know, you know, the fear of the future. And what I would say to that is Joseph on his own went and got his job yeah. on his own, um, decided I'm running out of money. I need more work, not on my time. I knew that way before he did, mm -hmm. but you know, just to give them, give our kids the space to be who they are and guide them. Don't, don't, you know, go do this, go do that. It's just kind of like, well, you might think about, mm -hmm. well, you know, and, and they do. And to give our kids, um, the credit, I don't think our kids get enough credit. I think Joseph rocks it. Um, he's doing full-time <laughs> janitorial work right now. And some people may go, oh, because Joseph could actually teach any class at this college campus that he's working at. <laughs> My son is a walking encyclopedia. I always go, hey, Joseph, what is blah, blah, blah? Yeah, he's like your Alexa, right? Yeah, Alexa, yeah. what is this? Is this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it just takes him a second for his beautiful brain to compute, yeah. and he generally has the right answer. So it's not it, – it, it's all about guiding them and, and giving them the space. 
And I think that has been a big, big lesson for me. But he's doing great. He's living uh, about 120 miles away. He comes home when he can. He has a full-time job. He has a girlfriend. They have an apartment with a couple of roommates. Um, he's looking. He's still continuing to w- look for work in radio because that's what he loves, and he's mm-hmm. so good at it. Um, and not only that, this kid is on fire with writing. When you all get a chance to read my son's writing, you'll see what I've seen for years is uh, I hope he pursues to be an author, but again that's up to him. Yeah. Well, and so much of what you're saying, I think applies to any parent of adult children, that transition between parenting children in your home under 18, they really under are under your stewardship. And then that transition of loosening the leash and letting them fly. I mean, that is the ultimate goal is to raise competent, capable, contributing adults. And yet so many times parents feel that rub of like wanting to insert themselves and still, you know, over, over correct or over, yeah, just insert themselves in their adult children's business. And I've heard from a lot of people with adult children how that's a hard thing. And that's a whole other kind of grieving process that you go through during that transition. So I think whether your child has special needs, obviously there's different circumstances there, but with adult typical children as well. You're going to face face that. And that's an important next step, next chapter. It is. And it's, it's definitely a challenge. It doesn't, it doesn't happen easily, or at least it didn't for me. Um, cause you know, I gave, you know, when you put all of you into your kids for so many years and then it's everything that you've worked so hard for is like the realization, like, Oh, Okay, they just need me every now and then. Wow, <laughs> wow, yes. And then, then mothers in the throes of it, like I am right now, are thinking what I wouldn't give just to have an empty house just for two hours, right? Just like a little bit of yeah. peace and quiet. And you're like, give me the noise, give me the mess, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I bet. Oh, I yeah. bet. I love that you co-authored this with your son. What do you want people to know? about Joseph and what would you tell a mom right now who has a child with autism that is just needing a little bit of a boost right now? Oh, yes. Um, so two, two things that really resonate with me to advise moms that, that are in that situation is that your child processes information, emotions differently. They speak a different language. And when we accept that, then our expectations can shift. Because what I realized was, you know, Joseph only hears so much. And then it's like, you know, I don't know what he's thinking about, but it's certainly not what I'm talking about. (laughs) (laughs) And I can see it now. I've learned how to read him. And I'm like, and then he's he's learned how to read me, too, Mm. because... He'll come back with an answer and it goes right over my head and I'm like, I'm sorry, Joseph, I don't understand that. Can can you try again? And mm-hmm. I can see him trying to get language in a way that I'll understand it. Wow. So it's understanding that um, my son, your, your children process differently and they need to process it their way. Mm-hmm. 
So it's meeting in the middle. It really is a partnership is, is in essence what it is. And to give them that space and the time to process, because it's not like, oh, okay, I graduated from high school, so now I'm going to go to college, and then I'm going to get a job, and then da da da, and then yeah. it doesn't it doesn't work that way. It, it's just like everything else that our kids have had to adapt to and process. It's a step forward and maybe five steps back. It it just you you walk in grace and don't give up. And just keep trying to figure out different ways to click with your child. Yeah. Well, and I and I think that's so hopeful that that phase of where he can kind of do his part of trying to kind of renegotiate how he's able to communicate with you. But I'm sure there's moms who are in the middle of it right now where their child is just not able to do that part. And so it's Mm -hmm. all them trying to understand and have compassion and trying to communicate and interpret and, and it's one-sided for a long time, Mm -hmm. I bet. But there is absolutely hope that there can be that dance that happens eventually. So just hang hang, hang hang on. on. Yeah. But I feel for that mom. Um, What I figured out, and this is just a a guess, but um, that Joseph is about socially about five years behind Mm. now we've done a lot of work Mm. he went to um i just talked to his preschool teacher who's gonna open up for a book launch um our local book launch here and book signing and she can remember that the more joseph started speaking the less he had to draw. So it, it's a, it is a journey. And as I reflect back and see where we're at today, the, the biggest, the biggest thing with all my love is just do you get yourself well and healthy, do your grieving, find joy in your life and trust that your child will be doing the very best that they can do. Yeah. And that should be enough. Yeah. I love that. I love that so much. Bridget, this has just been such a wonderful conversation. I love the perspective of someone that has been through many seasons with their child um, walking through autism and just how hopeful your story is and inspiring. And I hope this book will serve as such a wonderful tool for, for mothers that are looking for something just like this. Yay. Yay for you. Yes, yes. And as as I've said before, if when you get the book, the covers – you're going to go, what is going on here? (laughs) But it is a beautiful metaphor for everything that we've discussed because the mom has her journey and the child has their own journey. And they literally are a a complete flip. Yeah. You know, on your darkest day, your child might be shining bright in, in, in their cell, in themselves, you know, so it's all about perspective and shifting and healing. I love that. Where can people find the book, Bridget? Where can people follow you online? Oh, I'm so excited. Um, you, We are going to be live for sale on Amazon on May 15th. Yay. So very, very soon. And you can find us on mothersguidethroughautism.com. That's our website. You can follow us on social media, um, on Facebook, Instagram, just look for Mother's Guide Through Autism, and you will find us. Uh, Also, we have a private Facebook 
uh, group for moms that is a support system. It is called Mother's Guide Through Autism. We ask that you apply. This is a platform for support, for knowledge, for healing, and I love how the moms interact with each other. It, it's really inspirational to, to be a part of that community. So we're trying to build a community of hope, inspiration, and knowledge. Mm, I love that. And you have a podcast. You're an autism parenting coach. I mean, you're just, you're amazing. You're doing all the things. And we'll link to everything at ExtraordinaryMomsPodcast.com so people yes. can, can find you there. Bridget, I always ask my guests one final question, and it's this. What would you tell your pre-motherhood self? Hmm. Woo, that's a good one. I love that question. I think what I would, would tell my, my pre-motherhood self and that's where a lot of my work comes from, actually, I love this question, is that everything is beautiful. Every, I, I really believe everything that happens to us is meant to be, and this is coming from a woman that's had several life tsunamis, mm -hmm. and to trust your mother heart. You know, moms are judged a lot. I was judged a lot. Um, it's a rough ride, but you do have the answers inside of your heart. You just need to heal your heart, trust your heart, and you're going to be okay. Yeah. You're going to be okay. I love that. Thank you, Bridget. Congratulations on your new book, and I hope everyone will check it out. And for anybody who is in a similar boat as you have been, I hope they'll reach out and, and get support through you. Thank you so much. How incredible is Bridget's story? I love her perspective. And for those of you who have a child with autism, maybe you have a recent diagnosis, maybe you're in the throes of those early stages, Bridget has been there and her resource will be a lifeline to you. Trust me. And you can see how 30 years in, how their family is thriving and how her son has surpassed so many of the milestones that they were never sure it would be possible for Joseph. So Congratulations to this incredible, incredible family and to Bridget for being such an extraordinary mom. I'll link to her book, Mother's Guide Through Autism, at extraordinarymomspodcast.com. If you don't already follow me on Instagram, you can do that at jessicadalkwiz3 or on Facebook at Extraordinary Moms Podcast. Thanks for tuning in today, and we'll see you next week for another episode with another extraordinary mom. Bye.